Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. Ian Parry is an environmental fiscal policy expert at the International Monetary Fund, that's the IMF, and he's in New Zealand to speak at a series of events about tax. I know it doesn't get any more exciting than that, but wait, there is more. Ian is also a specialist in carbon pricing, emission trading schemes, and the role of fiscal policy in climate mitigation. And the timing couldn't be better for New Zealand as we wrestle with our own changes to the ETS, price drops, and then a big recovery in the carbon market, and I guess growing scepticism about the veracity of offsetting and especially claims about carbon neutrality. Uh, it's a gorgeous spring day in Auckland. Do you, this, do you enjoy this sort of thing? Would you rather be at one of our West Coast beaches enjoying <laughs> some sunshine? Well, it's, it's, it's nice to uh, uh, discuss these issues and then have a, a break afterwards, yeah. <laughs> uh, are you going to get a chance to? I'm afraid not on this trip. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you do see across, or oh, thank you for, for coming to New Zealand. Thanks sure. for joining us on the podcast. Sure. Um, you see, you are in a privileged position of seeing across industries, but also really across the globe. Um, so perhaps you could give us a bit of a stock take, especially in regards to our Paris commitments. You know, where mm. where is the world at? Well, uh, to get on track with keeping warming to two degrees Celsius, we need to be cutting global greenhouse gas emissions 25% by 2030 <clears throat> relative to recent levels. To get on track with 1.5 degrees Celsius, we need to be cutting emissions 50%. So if we don't achieve these very deep emissions cuts uh, by 2030, that really puts at risk uh, whether we'll actually be able to achieve these temperature goals in, in, in the longer term. And unfortunately, if we were, if we add up all the commitments that countries have made, uh, <clears throat> um, they're only going to cut, even if they're fully achieved, they're only going to cut global emissions about 12% by 2030. So we really need to scale up uh, mitigation ambition and the policies to achieve much more aggressive uh, targets uh, in, in, in the over the next few years. At the climate conference a couple of days ago, uh, both the Minister of Climate and also uh, the Climate Commissioner were cautiously celebrating New Zealand's third year of decline in greenhouse gas emissions uh, at a gross level. Um, and the Climate Commissioner went as far as to say the transition has started. I guess the point is that Starting is one thing, the, the, the scale of the transition and the speed is now the thing that is holding us back. Yeah, I mean, definitely New Zealand's uh, made progress and has been, was, was an early pioneer of uh, mitigation uh, policies. It was one of the first countries to establish an emissions pricing system. It's the first country to have a uh, nationwide pricing system for the uh, forestry sector uh, and it's... Uh, <clears throat> has a proposal to our price emissions in the agricultural sector. Um, so certainly New Zealand's been a, a, a pioneer uh, and um, you know, a lot of progress has been made, for example, in uh, forest carbon sequestration. Mm. But there are a lot of challenges <laughs> ahead. Uh, one is, is that the uh, 
emissions price is is not really high enough to be driving the investments that are needed in the uh, energy sector. Most of the reductions are coming in the forestry sector, but not much is happening in the uh, energy sector. But there have been some promising developments. Uh, you have a sort of a, a tax rebate scheme, uh, which uh, raises the cost of uh, gasoline vehicles lowers the cost of electric vehicles, and that's helped push the penetration uh, of electric vehicles. Um, well, the minister actually claimed that in the month of June, one out of two imported vehicles were EVs. Mm, that's great, yeah. Uh, but uh, And another challenge is that um, because the forestry sector is in the emissions trading system, and there are a lot of low-cost options for expanding forestry, effectively that keeps the uh, price uh, depressed. Mm -hmm. So I think ideally we would take forestry out of the system, allow the price to rise to create a more robust incentive for the uh, energy sector, and then have a separate scheme for forestry where we maintain or, or strengthen incentives for um, uh, forest carbon sequestration. Do you have a sense of where the price for carbon needs to be to be effective as a driver of behaviour change and, and, as you say, investment and change in technology? Yeah, well, at the global level, uh, we really need to be looking at carbon prices of around 75 US dollars per tonne mm -hmm. uh, by the end of the decade. Uh, that would uh, be sufficient to get global emissions in line with staying below two degrees Celsius. For New Zealand, um, it, it, it's already a relatively clean economy. Uh, I think 80% of the power sector is low carbon. Mm -hmm. So New Zealand doesn't have a lot of uh, low-cost opportunities for cutting emissions in the energy sector, unlike a lot of other countries with yeah. more reliance on uh, coal. So uh, a higher price is needed to cut uh, emissions in uh, New Zealand. So, so maybe a price uh, of, of $100 per tonne, may, maybe more, uh, is, is needed to create incentives. To US... Uh, uh, or New Zealand dollars, because there's, there's a difference. Yeah. <laughs> so, sorry. Uh, so uh, 170 New Zealand dollars, yeah. 100 US dollars. So more than twice the price. I mean, it's around about 75, I think, at the moment. It's yeah. kind, of, kind of bounced back from our rather catastrophic uh, intervention earlier in the year. Yeah. Um, the, the link to, to forestry is problematic in the sense that um, – Everyone wants to plant trees, and we want to reward people for planting trees, yep. right? But if you were to de decouple the forestry sector from the emissions trading scheme, what what is the credit then that is offered uh, to polluters? You know, what does it buy if it doesn't buy forests? Well, I think you transition. One option is to transition towards uh, a system where uh, the government pays subsidies, uh, financial incentives for landowners that are. Uh, engage in uh, reforestation projects and then penalises landowners that are cutting down trees. So you, you provide the same incentives but through uh, a tax subsidy scheme rather mm -hmm. than a credit scheme. Mm -hmm. But you, you certainly don't want to undermine those incentives. You want to preserve them and ideally strengthen them. Yeah, internationally, but especially here, there's concern about permanent pine forests or permanent exotics as opposed to natives. Are you seeing uh, any pressure or opportunities internationally for native forests as a source of carbon sinks and carbon credits? I haven't heard a lot about that, uh, but um, if, if, if native forests also have um, ecological uh, advantage uh, attractions, maybe protecting biodiversity, that's yeah. something that should be taken into account. And ideally, you'd skew, you'd provide more incentives for the, for the reforestation in, in, in areas where there's uh, additional 
uh, biodiversity yeah, benefits. Yeah, I think that, that's the dream outcome for us because, as you say, um, it's the, the, the most cost-effective thing to do at the moment is plant exotic pine which grow like crazy and we they're excellent trees for growing. Mm. They're better trees for harvesting than they are as permanent forests. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's a that's an ongoing issue. Look, um, you have this in your presentation which you are g- uh, giving, and I've seen the the um, the slides. There's a there's a fantastic chart that um, shows the effectiveness of different kind of policy instruments, and you give ticks um, for which interventions are more effective at mitigation. And I, I think just looking at the number of ticks, carbon taxes gets the most. Why is that? Why why is taxation the most effective instrument? Uh, if it's applied comprehensively across all emissions, uh, it's going to provide across the board incentives to um, reduce those emissions through shifting towards cleaner energy, uh, reducing um, uh, energy demand, uh, compared with um, other instruments that have a narrower focus. Mm-hmm. For example, if you subsidize renewables, that's less effective because you're not encouraging uh, generators to switch from coal to natural gas or to switch to nuclear. You're not raising the price of electricity, so you don't get a reduction in electricity demand, and you're not uh, providing incentive to cut emissions in other sectors. So the nice thing about carbon taxation or well-designed emissions trading systems is that with one policy, you can promote all these behavioral responses across all sectors of the economy. How popular are carbon taxes? No, nobody likes taxes, don't they? Um well, the uh, carbon taxes or emissions trading systems, which are similar, are, are operating in nearly 50 countries now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they are um, proliferating, um, but not w- with the uh, high enough prices or, or, or across enough countries uh, that, w- that we need to get on track with warming goals. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one that gets a, a huge number of ticks are fee baits and incentives. Um, and we've seen... Th- Probably the most spectacular one in New Zealand is around um, clean, a clean car incentive. Yeah, that's possibly under threat. If we got a centre right uh, kind of coalition coming into to government, they've earmarked that for the chop. Um, why are fee baits so successful? Well, they can uh, provide strong incentives to reduce uh, the emissions intensity of a sector. Uh, so, for example, in the vehicle sector, they've been discouraging people from purchasing. Uh, gasoline vehicles, and they've been encouraging people to uh, uh, switch to uh, clean vehicles, uh, electric vehicles. The same instrument could also be applied to other sectors, power generation sector or industrial mm-hmm. sector. So you'd penalise emissions-intensive firms, subsidise relatively clean firms. So then all all firms have an incentive to cut their emissions intensity of production. So if these schemes are applied across all the sectors, they're going to promote most. Not all, but most of the mitigation responses you would have promoted under carbon taxation. Mm. The difference is that carbon taxation also promotes a demand response. So it would encourage people to drive less as well as uh, shift towards cleaner vehicles. Uh-huh. Because, uh, say, for instance, transport, um, just replacing like for like, so replacing an ICE vehicle with an EV vehicle doesn't actually address a much bigger challenge, which is mode shift, right? Getting people into public transport or walking or or cycling. Yeah. Um, what kind of instruments would for, force or encourage, you know, incentivize that kind of change, where you're actually getting people out of vehicles, which seems to have a much a much bigger and more positive effect. Mm. Well, we, we recommend that um, 
countries think about transitioning uh, towards mileage-based taxes, <clears throat> where uh, you, you would pay by the mile, uh, uh -huh. especially with, with a higher charge when you're driving in congested uh, areas, so urban areas and, and at peak period. That would be effective at shifting people off congested roads and onto other uh, And that would be modes. irrespective of whatever fuel uh, uses is in that yes, vehicle. Yes, that's right. Uh, and it, it, it's becoming more pressing as we're uh, eroding the revenues that we've traditionally collected from taxes on gasoline and diesel as we progress towards cleaner vehicles. Um, we're still building roads in New Zealand. In fact, the, the, both parties have committed to expanding and building wider, bigger roading networks. Is that something the IMF is discouraging? You know, because the the whole theory of induced demand is if you create <coughs> just another lane, you actually just create more traffic. Um, are, are there sort of global perspectives on that? Um, well, we don't get into the uh, pros and cons of specific projects. That that's more sort of like a, a World Bank area mm -hmm. where they will uh, provide, perhaps provide funding for specific highway projects. That's very specific to the costs and benefits of the investment. But if you're wanting to reduce the congestion on roads, then it's better to be taxing people uh, by the mile driven, especially uh, uh, in, in congested roads. That, that'll get them to take into account the, the fact that they're um, slowing travel speeds for other, other drivers. And yeah, there must be some equity issues in that, um, you know, pu putting a, a tax on people uh, just raises the cost of the, the item. Uh, does the bank have a point of view about how carbon taxation will have perverse effects on the cost of living? Well, we think it's very important as you move forward with um, carbon taxation or energy price reform that you protect the low-income households. You, you address distributional concerns. So you would want to strengthen, for example, social safety nets for low-income households. Maybe with some of the revenues from carbon pricing, you would use them in... Uh, tax cut reductions in income taxes, uh -huh. which may be skewed towards uh, uh, low-income households. So that's very important to make the overall reform equitable uh, and to make sure that we're not undermining distributional objectives and we're protecting low-income households. Mm. The term uh, carbon neutral seems to be falling out of favour. I know that the EU have just passed um, quite a bunch of rules about what carbon neutral means, what the claims could be, um, because it uh, it potentially is quite greenwashy. I think the UK have done something quite similar. Um, I just read yesterday that Nestle have abandoned uh, carbon neutrality as a as a brand claim and just want to focus on gross reductions. Does that have does the questionable nature and there's there's an there's an and kind of corollary to this, which is concerns about offsetting schemes not being credible, and we've, we have had a, uh, an experience in New Zealand of, of effectively buying junk credits, which we had to deal with, quite a few junk credits we had to deal with um, about uh, seven or eight years ago. Um, does the concerns about the veracity of carbon neutrality, is that going to affect the way that these kind of policy instruments you're talking about are adopted? Uh, is there a contagion <laughs> that might seep across into a, something like a, an emissions trading scheme? 
Well, ideally, you want to be um, achieving your emissions reductions through cutting your own emissions rather than paying for emissions reductions in other countries. Mm. That, that's what we recommend. <clears throat> but in, in New Zealand's case, where it's very difficult to cut emissions because you're already a relatively clean economy, uh, <clears throat> most of the power generation is, is clean, um, it, it may be difficult to ach fully achieve ambitious emissions cuts without purchasing some offsets. But you need those offsets to be credible, both in terms of um, the offset being a project that would not have gone ahead without the offset payment, first of all. And secondly, <clears throat> you want to make sure that the uh, country that's selling the offset mm. uh, well, perhaps tightens its mitigation pledge uh, because you don't want both countries claiming the emissions reduction towards their uh, uh, Paris commitments. Yeah. And are you concerned about the the reputation damage that offsetting is experiencing at the moment, given just um, you know the the philosophically, you know, everyone gets this idea that you reduce gross emissions and the hard to abate uh, remainder are dealt with net. But we've really seemed to reverse thinking that we could kind of offset our way out of this this problem, right? And that 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 thinking has to change, but it, are you seeing that change? Um, <clears throat> well, uh, as you say, there are th these big concerns about offsets, whether they're actually reducing uh, mm. <clears throat> emissions or whether the emissions reductions would have got, gone ahead anyway without the offset uh, payment. Um, so that these concerns need to be addressed and there need to be procedures for uh, making sure that the offsets are uh, credible. Does the does the IMF get involved in any of that kind of accreditation or um, not the IMF? No. Yeah. Okay. Um, just uh, the the last sort of observation about New Zealand. Our our sacred cow really is are our cows. <laughs> <laughs> we we have a methane problem in New Zealand, and you know our our you know what's the energy challenge in in Europe and in the northern hemisphere really is our agricultural um, emissions. Mm. Um, and we do seem unable to deal with methane. You know, we've kicked that can down the road for some time. Do you have any advice or are there examples of agricultural management, carbon and methane management that you've that we could take inspiration from? Uh, no. Um, I mean, the most effective way uh, to cut the emissions would be to price the emissions. And, uh, in, you know, New Zealand does have a proposal for implementing <clears throat> pricing of the uh, livestock mm. emissions uh, from 2025. So that would be the most effective policy because it would reward all uh, <clears throat> behavioural responses or opportunities for cutting uh, those emissions. Yes. So if New Zealand was to move ahead, uh, you'd be the first country to do that. You'd be the pioneer in that. Uh, that's kind of disappointing because we really hope out there somewhere someone else has solved it for us. But we, it, <clears throat> even that proposal seems to have been kicked again, down the track, it's certainly not going to be implemented before this election and there's no commitment from uh, the opposition should they become mm. government to uh, implementing that. Um, so if New Zealand's not doing it, it doesn't sound like anyone else's. Well, other countries are considering it. Uh, European countries uh, are thinking about how to uh, price the emissions. It, it's tricky because you need to set up a monitoring uh, system uh, for, the, for those emissions. Uh, so in New, New Zealand, the idea is that uh, farmers will uh, estimate their emissions based mm. on herd size and type and feed, mm. land input uh, and, and so on. 
Um, <clears throat> so, uh, I mean, pricing will emerge sooner or later, uh, in, in, uh, and you know, once countries establish the capacity for uh, monitoring uh, pricing. But in terms of methane for the for the near term, uh, the the low cost mitigation opportunities are in the extractive sector, uh, fixing leaky gas pipes uh -huh. and so on. Yeah. Okay. Um, look, it's been lovely talking to you. I've, I've managed to squeeze out the last <laughs> bit of time that you have. So thanks for joining me and um, good luck for yeah. your presentation tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me. This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us.